Alright folks, today I have been um, just all these questions about this area, okay. And basically, I guess to start it off, the best way is, it's the Silk Road. The Silk Road, also called the Silk Route, ancient trade route, linking China with the West. That carried goods and ideas between the two between the two great civilizations of Rome and China. Silk went westward, and wools, gold, and silver went east. China also received Nestorian Christianity and Buddhism from India via the Silk Road. I'm going to look into Nestorian Christianity next. Originating at Xi'an. See, this is what I'm saying. Okay, this is spelled X-I-A-N. Okay, X-I apostrophe A-N. And, um... What the fuck is going on? Anyways, it's, 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 it's pronounced... Okay, it's spelled X-I-A-N. It's just pronounced Sin. Sian. The X is pronounced with a S. So, in the Bible, just look up Desert of Sinai. I am linking Sinai with China. With Xinjiang. Sino. Sino means Chinese. Basically, literally, the it went from Sino, Sina to China. Okay. And back then, this was right here. Originating, this is talking about the Silk Road. Originating at Xi'an, the 4,000-mile road, actually a caravan tract, followed the Great Wall of China to the northwest, bypassed the Takla Makan Desert, look at this shit, which, I, which I'll get into, climbed the Pamirs, which is a mountain range, crossed Afghanistan, and went onto the Levant. From there, the merchandise was shipped across the Mediterranean Sea. Few persons traveled the entire route, and goods were handled in a staggered progression by middlemen. This area right here, I think, is where all this shit came together. Alright. With the gradual loss of Roman territory in Asia and the rise of Arabian power in the Levant, the Silk Road became increasingly unsafe and untraveled. In the 13th and 14th centuries, the, the route was revived under the Mongols. And at that time, the Venetian Marco Polo used it to travel to Cathay, which is which is basically China, which means China. That's another name for China. It was Cathay, the Cathay Pacific Airlines. Yeah, that means China. Cathay means China. It is now widely thought that the route was one of the main ways that plague, bacteria responsible for the Black Death pandemic in Europe in the mid-14th century moved westward from Asia. 
Hmm, history repeats itself, doesn't it? Part of the Silk Road still exists in the form of a paved highway connecting Pakistan and the Uyghur Autonomous Region of Xinjiang, China. This area, I'm telling you, Xinjiang, Mount Sinai, Xinjiang, China, and Mount Sinai, I'm telling you. The old road has been the impetus behind a United Nations plan for a trans-Asian highway and a railway counterpart, blah, blah, blah. Basically, they're still trying, China's trying to read Basically trying to bring back the Silk Road. And with it will come all kinds of research and all this shit. But okay. Why is... Okay. Cafe. Medieval region in China. What is going on? Alright, sorry about that. I fucking signed out of Britannica. Okay, Cafe. Cathay name by which North China was known in medieval Europe. The word is derived from Kite or Kitan, the name of a semi-nomadic people who left southeastern Mongolia in the 10th century CE to conquer part of Manchuria and northern China, which they held for about 200 years. By the time of Genghis Khan, the Mongols had begun referring to North China as Kitai and South China as Mangi. Kitai is still the Russian word for China. Huh, isn't that interesting? Kitai is still the Russian word for China. Either Muslim merchants or two Franciscan friars who visited the ancient Mongol capital of Karakoram in 1246 and 1254 are thought to have introduced the name Cathay to Europe. But Marco Polo, who journeyed to China almost 50 years later, was the one who really put the image of Cathay between the European public. Okay, going back to the Wilderness of Sin. Desert of Sinai, Wilderness of Sin, Desert of Sin. It's I think it's all this area. Okay, now, starting with Silk Road, now introduced into this area... Let's jump to this. Let's jump to Xinjiang. Just let's just do a short. Well, actually, let me look it up. It. Sorry. Xinjiang. All right. Xinjiang conventional. Look, it's spelled with conventional spelling with S I N K I A N G. Xinjiang in full Uyghur autonomous region of Xinjiang. Officially Xinjiang Uyghur Ziziku. Chinese okay. Blah 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 Uyghur also spelled Uyghur Occupying the northwestern corner of the country. It is bordered by the Chinese province provinces of Qinghai and Gansu to the east, the Tibet Autonomous Region to the south, Afghanistan and the disputed territory of Kashmir to the southwest, Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan to the west, Kazakhstan to the northwest, Russia to the north, and Mongolia to the northeast. It is China's largest political unit. Its capital is at Urumqi. 
Hmm, it's China's largest political unit, Xinjiang. Isn't that interesting? Known to the Chinese as ZU, Western Regions, for centuries, the area became Xinjiang, New Borders. Upon its annexation under the Qing, that's the Manchu Dynasty in the 18th century, Westerners long called it Chinese Turkestan to distinguish it from Russian Turkestan. Xinjiang is an area of lonely, rugged mountains and vast desert basins. Its indigenous population of agriculturalists and pastoralists, principally Uyghurs, I'm going to do another thing on these guys. These guys are really interesting. Inhabit, which is interesting because they're getting all this... Anyway, we all we all have heard of them on the news. Inhabit oases strung out along the mountain foothills or wander the arid plains in search of pasturage. Like Psalms and this area, like the sheep and shepherds and that whole scenery and this area, man, you look up this shit, it's fucking just beautiful over here. Okay, so then... I was like, okay, so if this is um, supposed to be, let's say, the desert of sin, then where is um, Mount Sinai? Sinai? And guess what? In that, in that uh, location. So you look up Xinjiang. It's basically it basically looks like big big ass desert above. India, right next to Tajikistan, on towards the left of China, and then towards the bottom left of Mongolia. Anyways, Xinjiang, okay, so then I'm like, okay, so if Mount Sinai was a volcano, are there any volcanoes around here? <clears throat> there are, okay, and then on top of that, there, <laughs> there's, okay, so above... <clears throat> this area called the Aksu Prefecture, whatever, okay, what is this, this is a, anyway, this whole area is very interesting, anyway, above this area, there is, guess what, Khan Tengri, you know what Khan Tengri is, man, Khan Tangiri Peak, Kazakh, Khan, Tengri, Shinji. Anyways. Basically, Khan, Tengri, peak. In the Tian Shan. What did I say? Shan means mountain. In China, Shan is mountain. In Korea, San is mountain. Anyways. A range of Central Asia at the juncture of the boundaries between Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and the Uyghur Autonomous region of Xinjiang, China, situated in a heavily glaciated mountain knot. The mountains rise 22,949 feet and is the highest point in Kazakhstan until Soviet explorers found that nearby Victory Peak was at uh, 24, okay, was higher than Kantangri, blah, 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 blah. Let me give you the history of, oh my god, okay. Wait, what? They don't even... Ah, Britannica, disappointing, man. This is why I have to... Okay, Khan Tengri. 
Khan. The name Khan Tengri literally, literally means King Heaven in Kazakh or King Sky in Mongolian and possibly references the deity Tengri. Uh, yes. Basically, basically this was uh, Genghis, Genghis Khan's mountain believed to be. Okay. Khan Tengri is a massive marble pyramid covered in snow and ice. What? Okay. At sunset, the marble glows red, giving it the name Blood Mountain in Kazakh and Kyrgyz. Located just across the South Engelchek Glacier, 16 kilometers of the Jengish Chokusu, Khan Tengri was originally thought to be the highest peak in the Tian Shan because of its dramatic streep, steep shape compared to the blah blah blah. I'm trying to get to the Khan and okay, anyways, let me read you this uh, little part from this journal here. Um, Rewriting mythology in Xinjiang, the case of the Queen Mother of the West, King Mu and the Kunlun. Kunlun is the mountain range. Um, Alright, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna read. Um, the Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region today represents a crucial challenge to China's growing power. Alright, this was written in 2014. Okay. Um, since 1949, Beijing's rule and policies in the region have led to numerous manifestations of local discontent and to increasing concern among Western activists and members of the Uyghur diaspora. One of the several issues at stake is historical. China's claim that Xinjiang has been an inalienable part of its territory since ancient times. This position is disputed by most Western scholars of the region who argue that Xinjiang has been subject to Chinese dynastic rule only intermittently and for a minor part of its long history. This article will demonstrate that Chinese attempts to use scholarship to justify Beijing's dominion over this remote Central Asian region have gone far beyond the manipulation of history. Mythology has also been appropriated specifically the figure of the Queen Mother of the West. In the process, Chinese authors take advantage of the vague and contradictory nature of, of some pre-Han sources concerning the Queen Mother of the West and the mythical mountain known as the Kunlun. I begin by introducing the contested nature of history in Xinjiang and its use as a tool for political purposes. <clears throat> well, this is all very interesting, but uh, I'm not trying to get into the political side of all this shit. I'm just trying to... <clears throat> I'm just trying to get to the fucking story and mythology side behind this area. Um, let's see. 
Okay, the Queen Mother of the West, the deity in the texts. As Anne Birrell argues in her work on Chinese mythology, the Queen Mother of the West is not a primeval cosmogonic deity, but a goddess who appears comparatively late in the mythological tradition during the late Chu or Zhu and early Han period. The most ancient written appearance of the XWM, I don't know what that is, is probably that in the inner chapters of the Zhang Zhuang Zhuangzi, one of the mayor one of the major Taoist classics, which dates from around the fourth century BCE. The passage mentions XWM among a number of individuals who has succeeded in attaining the way, the Tao. She is described as an immortal being living in a place called Shao Guang, a name that does not appear in any other classical text and might therefore be simply the fruit of Zhuangzi's imagination. Unlike most subsequent Han literature, XWM is not linked here. Okay, I don't know what the fuck this all this is. Give me a second. I'm going to try to find. <laughs> Alright, I found some, uh, some stuff. Okay, the Flaming Mountains, which is in in Xinjiang or are barren eroded red sandstone hills in the Tian Shan of Xinjiang. They lie near the northern rim of the Taklamukan Desert and east of the city of Turpan. So the one of the volcanoes is in Turpan. Their striking gullies and trenches caused by erosion, blah blah blah. The mountains, okay, the average flame, blah, blah, blah. Let me read some of the mythology. Uh, according to the classical novel Journey to the West, the Monkey King created a disturbance in the heavens and knocked over a kiln, causing embers to fall from the sky to the place where the flaming mountains are now. The princess in Iron... The Princess Iron Fan possessed the magical Iron Fan and used it to remove the fire on the flaming mountains, though since she only fanned once each time, it would only be able to be removed for a year before the fire started again. The pilgrims encounter an extremely hostile range of volcanic mountains and can only pass if the volcanoes become inactive. Her fan, made from banana leaves, is extremely large and has magical properties as it can create giant whirlwinds. Using this advantage, she made the residents near there revered her as their goddess and they would have to give her some food if they want her to solve their problem about the flaming mountains. In the Uyghur legend, a dragon lived in the Tianshan Mountains. Because the dragon ate little children, hmm, sounds like Genesis. A Uyghur hero slew the dragon and cut it into eight pieces. Hmm, sounds like all the saints who slew the dragons. 
The dragon's blood turned into a scarlet mountain of blood, and the eight pieces became the eight valleys in the flaming mountains. Like I said, this whole area is just, I think, it, anyways, okay, so, <clears throat> um, I did. I stopped reading the other one. That article just went full po political, and I'm, I'm, I don't really care about all that shit right now. Um, I'm trying to talk about <laughs> this pretty cool mount. Here, okay, let's see. So, I found this one article. From 1966 about Tengri. Oh, yeah, let me. Alright, so let me tell you a bit about Tengrism. Tengri. So, Tengri was Genghis Khan's sky god. Sky god. The. Alright, so if you look up Tengrism, it's an ancient ethnic and state Turco-Mongolic religion. You hear that? Turco-Mongolic. This whole theme of red hair and it's interesting because even they say even the prof, even the prophet Muhammad had a red beard. They even say these old some of these old pictures of Jesus they he he apparently he had red hair anyways I'm not trying to get into all that but I'm just saying there's this connection between that look of even even the old Japanese emperors apparently had that look of this turco mongolic it's like the this is what I'm saying. Central Asia, that look is a mix of all this. The the Arabic, the fucking the Asian Mongolic, and then the, the, the Turco, the 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 Western uh basically Western white features. This it's all up in this area. That's why they're always at war over there to just stop to 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 stop to stop us from finding the similarities because if we find our common similarities that oh shit we're all fucking cousins <laughs> then then well we can't have wars and then profit from it so anyways Tengrism is an ancient ethnic and state Turco-Mongolic religion originating in the Eurasian steppes based on folk shamanism monotheistic at the imperial level you hear that and generally centered around the titular sky god Tengri the term also describes several contemporary Turco-Mongolic native religious movements and teachings all modern adherents of political Tengrism are monotheists yeah that's what I'm saying like if if you look into monotheism and the history of monotheism and I'm just saying there's a lot of overlap with with uh, Genghis Khan and all this shit okay 
It was the prevailing religion of the Turks, Mongols, Bulgars, Xiongnu, Huns, and possibly the Magyars, and the state religion of several medieval states, the Gokturk Kaganate, the Western Turkic Kaganate, the Eastern Turkic Kaganate, okay, all this stuff. In the Irk Bitig, a 9th century manuscript on divination, Tengri is mentioned as Turk Tangrisi, god of Turks. According to many academics, Tengrism was a predominantly polytheistic religion based on shamanistic concept of animism, and during the imperial period, Tengrism was mostly monotheistic. Tengrism has been advocated in intellectual circles of the Turkic nations of Central Asia and Russia since okay, Central Asia, Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan and Russia, Tatarstan, Bashkort, Bash, Bashkortostan. Why are all these fucking things ending with stan? Since since the dissolution of the Soviet Union during the 1990s, since or still practiced, it is undergoing an organized revival in... Okay, all these, all these places. Okay, Tengri can either refer to the sky deity or refer also to other deities. Uh, they're comparing it to the concept of Kami, which is Japanese, which is very similar. Tengrism is centered on the worship of the Tengri gods, Tengri heaven, god of heaven being one of them. In the Mongolian folk religion, Genghis Khan is considered one of the embodiments, if not the main embodiment, of Tengri's will. done so much on shamanism <laughs> let me read this uh, article 1966 QEGRI and Tengri I don't know what that means but let's find out in his article a possible Turco-Mongolian source for I'm assuming that's Greek in Hermas is the pastor in this periodical Latin number 1963. John R. Kruger tried to prove that this, whatever word, the name of an angel in the fourth vision of Hermes the shepherd is Tengri, the Altaic word for the sky god. According to Kruger, the congruence in the general form and tone of the word seems to be too great for chance resemblance. Yeah, of course, man. It all, everything all comes from nature. Everything leads always back to nature. Kruger's equation is untenable for several reasons. Hmm, okay, already he's dismissing it. Jesus Christ, man. It's just, okay. Well, actually... Uh, it's only four pages. <laughs> yeah, so this guy basically dismisses it. 
Anyways, I'm not gonna get into that. I wasn't even trying to. What I want to find out is what is it with this area? Okay, so Kantengri, the mountain peak. Okay, and then there's Turpan and the volcano up there. There's uh, the the Kunlun area which is all volcanic up here is a lake the isik cool it's like i guess in the russian area now i guess you could look kolsai lakes natural the kolsai lakes national natural park is located on the north slope of the Tian Shan Mountains, southeast Kazakhstan, often referred to as Pearls of Tian Shan. The park's main feature are the, are the Kolsei Lakes located. Okay. I mean, it's definitely very pretty. So, if, let's say, um, there's a lake up here, <laughs> on top of the mountains well then we can assume there's volcanoes up here right I mean anyway so my point is what am I trying to get to so what I'm trying to get to is I think this area okay is was the juncture point I mean even if you open up um fucking Google Maps and look at this area then you look up a map or a picture of the Silk Road on a map and see just how far it went this area then the Tian Shan area if you look at uh, a picture of the the the, ro the road everything fucking connects right there man india the middle east china mongolia all the fucking way to shanghai the ports of shanghai beijing all the way to fucking india down to delhi to patna to fucking bay of bengal and that's just the land. I mean, you, then then you connect the fucking um, the 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 boats, the the ocean trading ports and connections. It's it's fucking all over, man. And basically, this is what China's trying to redo. That basically, if you look at the if you look at the picture of the Silk Road. The one that shows the road map and the the sea routes. I mean, this is basically the whole fucking world, man. China, India, Middle East, Europe, fucking Africa, Southeast Asia. It is all, and this is what I'm saying. If if we look at our, if we honestly look at our history. We, it is. This is the meeting point, man. This is the fucking meeting point. This area right here is 
the Tianshan Samarkand Road was right there. Fucking Kabul. Anatolia was right next door. Fucking. And the, the Taklamakan Desert, I think, is the the desert of sin, I think. This area, the, the Xinjiang, the Tianshan, this area, I think, is is the Sinai Desert. Because it was right there, man. It was right there. In the right smack in the middle of the fucking Silk Road. And basically, that's what I'm going to look into. The Silk Road. Because apparently, that is also where... That's the meeting point of the world, man. Of fucking food. Knowledge. Wisdom. Fucking spices. Metals, goods, all kinds of shit. Philosophies, like... Dude, it's all right here. India, China, fucking Mongolia, Middle East, Europe. It's all right here, man. And this is the area that they keep having all those fucking problems. I wonder why. I wonder fucking why. The Hindu Kush Mountains right here. It's all right here. In this valley right here. This is it man. This is the fucking jackpot. I'm telling you. The Turco-Mongolic. That is it man. That is where all this shit comes from. We're all fucking related man. We're all fucking cousins man. We're fighting over dumb bullshit dude. (sighs) Fucking bullshit. Okay so then... You want to look up the history of the Silk Road, man? Fucking A, dude. Just just the stories, man, we got from the Silk Road, man. Shit. Fine, this is from history.com. I'll read it from this one, why not? The Silk Road was a network of trade routes connecting China and the Far East with the Middle East and Europe. Yeah, all of us. Established when the Han Dynasty in China officially opened trade with the West in 130 BC. See, every time China opens up trading, (laughs) we all benefit. The Silk Road routes remained in use until 1453 AD when the Ottoman Empire boycotted trade with China and closed them. Of course. Although it's been nearly 600 years since the Silk Road. Oh my god. Did you hear that? It's been 600 years. And today is what? November 19th. The fucking moon eclipse, whatever it's been, in, in, it's it's been what six hundred years apparently. Oh my god, man, what is going on? Anyways, since the Silk Road has been used for international trade, the routes had a lasting impact on commerce, culture, and history that resonates even today. Yeah, let's open that fucker up again. Royal Road. The Silk Road may have formally opened up trade between the Far East and Europe during the Han Dynasty, which ruled China from 206 BC to 220 AD. Han Emperor Wu sent imperial envoy 
Zhang Qian to make contact with cultures in Central Asia in 138 BC and his reports from his journeys conveyed valuable information about the people and lands that lay to the west but the transport of goods and services along these routes dates back even further yeah i mean i was watching some i was watching some documentaries on the silk road and there's so much archaeology there that I think fits even better with the Bible than than the area they say all that shit is in. Okay. The Royal Road which connected Susa in present day Iran. Susa. Hmm. More than 1600 miles west to Sardis near the Mediterranean Sea in modern Turkey was established by the Persian ruler Darius I during the Achaemenid Empire some 300 years before the opening of the Silk Road. The Persians also expanded the Royal Road to include smaller routes that connected Mesopotamia to the Indian subcontinent as well as northern Africa via Egypt. Yeah man, this is all the old trade routes man this is like fucking Alexander the Great ruler of the ancient Greek kingdom of Macedonia expanded his dominion into Persia via the royal road parts of the thoroughfare were ultimately incorporated into the Silk Road follow the money silk is gold Silk Road history the east-west trade routes between Greece and China began to open during the 1st and 2nd centuries BC. Do you fucking hear that? 1st century! The Roman Empire and the Kushan Empire, the Hindu Kush, where you get... <laughs> which, <laughs> which ruled territory in what is now northern India, mm -hmm, also benefited from the commerce created by the route along the Silk Road. This is what I'm saying. All the good shit we have, what we got from this area, man. <sighs> Interestingly, the ancient Greek word for China is what? What? S-E-R-E-S. -E Ceres. Ceres? Ceres? I don't know. Which literally means the land of silk. The land of Milk and honey or silk and honey? Hmm. However, <laughs> despite this obvious link to the name, the term Silk Road wasn't coined until 1877 when German geographer and historian Ferdinand von Richthofen first used it to describe the trade routes. Man, they even got the dude's name and dates down who used it the first time wow okay historians now prefer the term silk roots which more accurately reflects the fact that there was more than one thoroughfare silk road to china the silk road routes include a large network of strategically located trading trading posts 
hosts markets and thoroughfares designed to streamline the transport, exchange, distribution, and storage of goods. Routes extended from the Greco-Roman metropolis of Antioch across the Syrian desert via Palmyra to uh, Tessiphon, the Parthian capital, and Seleucia on the Tigris River, a Mesopotamian city in modern-day Iraq. From Seleucia, routes passed eastward over the Zagros Mountains to the cities of Ekbatana, Ekbatana, Iran, and Merv, Turkmenistan, from which additional routes traversed to modern-day Afghanistan and eastward into Mongolia and China. Silk Road routes also led to ports to the Persian Gulf, where goods were then transported up the Tigris and Euphrates river, rivers. Routes from these cities also connected to ports along the Mediterranean Sea, from which goods were shipped to cities throughout the Roman Empire and into Europe. So you see, my friend, that was how shit was done back in the day for thousands of years, until what the industrial revolution and who took over from there we know who and guess where we are right now <laughs> and and before everything we did was all what what environmentally <laughs> sustainable because we were using camels and horses and 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 the wind for our ships and now we're building fucking man we went full backward man silk road economic belt even though the name silk road derives from the popularity of chinese silk among tradesmen in the roman Roman Empire and elsewhere in Europe, the material was not the only important export from the East to the West. Trade along the so-called Silk Road economic belt included fruits and vegetables, livestock, grain, leather and hides, tools, religious objects, artwork, precious stones and metals, and perhaps more importantly, language, culture, religious beliefs, philosophy, and science. Commodities such as paper and gunpowder, both in invented by the Chinese during the Han Dynasty, had obviously had obvious and lasting impacts on culture and history in the West. They were also among the most traded items between the East and the West. Paper was invented in China during the third century BC and its use spread via the Silk Road arriving first in Samarkand in around 700 AD before moving to Europe Samarkand is Mongolian before moving to Europe through the then Islamic ports of Sicily and Spain yeah we're just going full backwards it's not a backwards it's just what goes that's the thing with the infinity and the saying what goes around comes around it's energy man it's everything's gonna balance out <sighs> history repeats itself until shit evens out man all right 
Of course, Paper's arrival in Europe fostered significant industrial change with the written word becoming a key form of mass communication for the first time. The eventual development of Gutenberg's printing press allowed for the mass production of books and later newspaper, which enabled a wider exchange of news and information. Silk Road Spices In addition, the rich spices of the East quickly became popular in the West and changed cuisine across much of Europe. Yeah, like, it's like, how did we forget so quick, man? It's, it hasn't been that long, man. Similarly, techniques for making glass migrated eastward to China from the Islamic world. The origins of gunpowder are less well known, although there are references to fireworks uh, and firearms in China as early as the 600s. I'll tell I'll tell you where it was. Apparently, I've heard gunpowder was first found in India. Historians believe that gunpowder was indeed exported along the Silk Road routes to Europe because India was very well known for its its uh, iron metal ores that kind of stuff tata steel i mean i'm telling you it's also because india had lots of tin which england needed apparently okay historians believe that gunpowder was indeed exported along the silk road routes to europe where it was further refined for use in cannons in England, France, and elsewhere in the 1300s. Yeah, this is why when you uh, uh, lag behind on your, let's say, um, defense technology, yeah, you don't get to sit at the table, basically. I mean... Having a nuke now is basically saying if you don't have one, you don't get to sit at the table. It's like if you don't have a gun, you don't have a say, basically. So that's what it is. Is when you when you when you fall behind in your weapon defensive technology, then well, whoever has the better technology just can just come and just take your shit. When what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? <laughs> that's all it is. You may have the science, but you gotta use it to your benefit. It's like you may have all, you may be the richest motherfucker, but then if you don't have a means of keeping all that shit secure, anyone can just come and take it. And that's basically what happened. <laughs> Alright, um, because I'm just saying, up in the West, in the colder areas, yeah, it's colder, less sunshine. Uh, less produce, so longer winters, so it's about storing uh, goods and food. So it's about th- so you survive, so you make it through through so you, that you make it through the winter. Versus where the weather is consistently uh, consistent throughout the year, you don't have to worry too much because you know the cycles and whatever are, are consistent. So. There's plenty of food. That's all it is. We just need to find a way to plant the food in. It's about land management. That's all it is.
It's about land management. Find the best lands to farm, the most bang for your buck, and then we rotate. Because we all know if we keep you know farming in one area, we f completely fuck that place up. I mean, come on, it's not that complicated. It's, it's basically we, basically we gotta find a balance between nomadic and settling down. Nomadic and city life. That's it's like because that's all it is. If you look at people as animals, if you have a billion buffaloes in this one area grazing on that ground and pooping and stamping I mean they you they that's how the 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 man was supposed to keep this harmony, this balance of nature. Man was supposed to be the caretaker of that balance. When things went out of that balance, man was supposed to be the one to bring it back to that balance. So, we can bring back all these bison and all this shit. We can use them to graze our land and, and fertilize it. We just rotate them. I mean, that's what they are doing anyway. So, it's... I mean, you look at a festival, you go see the damage the people do to that area, the the, the fucking uh, amount of trash they leave behind. Not just, you know, plastic, but even human waste, piss and shit. That's what I'm saying. Animals. So, use all this to our benefit. A festival, all that piss and shit use it as recycling it's it's literally natural it's natural fertilizer right there free <laughs> this is what i'm saying like we have to look at big natural biological systems and see where we fit in instead what we have been doing is no this little square box is my piece of Reality. What the fuck are you talking about? You don't own shit. You're gonna die. Someone else is gonna take your shit, get your shit. Life will go on. It's it's like your body, you won't take that with you either. That you're gonna have to leave that behind too. It's the whole circle of life, as Mufasa said. <laughs> we have to think that big cycle not this is why i'm saying the feminine thinks of time the f is it's time is woman is time man is a stick there you go okay that's been the problem we've only been stick 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 mentality <laughs> okay anyway The nation states with access to it had read that. obvious advantage in war and thus the export of gunpowder had an enormous impact on the political history of Europe. Eastward exploration. The Silk Road routes also opened up means of passage for explorers seeking to better understand the culture and geography of the Far East. 
Venetian explorer Marco Polo famously used the Silk Road to travel from Italy to China, which was then under the control of the Mongolian Empire, where they arrived in 1275. Isn't it interesting? That was, I think, one of one of my favorite shows on that on Netflix, the Marco Polo show, and just when that shit was all starting to get good, like what happened, the dude couldn't act no more because his 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 uh <laughs> his health went bad. I was like, come on, man, are you serious? Because if they had followed through, that's the whole history of all of us. Anyways, notably, they, this is what I'm saying. We are all starting to write and make our own uh, history now. And sooner or later, people will figure out, wait a minute. So then the bigger, if we look at the bigger story now, what we've been told and what we're finding does not match up. So... You do the math. That's all it is. It's timeline. Alright. Notably, they did not travel by boat. Um, what was it? Wait. Venetian explorer Marco Polo famously used the Silk Road to travel from Italy to China, which was then under the control of the Mongolian Empire, where they arrived in 1275. Oh, excuse me. Notably, they did not travel by boat, but rather by camel following overland routes. They arrived at Xanadu, the lavish summer palace of the Mongolian emperor Kublai Khan. Also, I want to say, I think Star Wars is a complete, at least the themes and all that is like all from this this area right here. I think this whole area is Dune that just came out is all this area, man. All that, all that theme and, and it's all coming from this area, I think. In all, the explorer spent 24 years in Asia working in Kublai Khan's court, perhaps as a tax collector. Marco Polo returned to Venice again via the Silk Roots in 1295 just as the Mongolian Empire was in decline. His journeys across the Silk Road became the basis for his book, The Travels of Marco Polo, which gave Europeans a better understanding of Asian commerce and culture. Wait. Okay. Um, let me see. Alright, let me... Uh, there's so much good stuff, man. Let me end with this one. Tengrism and Christianity. Hulegu Khan. Okay, who is Hulegu Khan? Also known, okay, was a Mongol ruler who conquered much of Western Asia, son of Tolui and the Karite princess Sorga. Sorghagtani Beki, he was a grandson of Genghis Khan. Okay, so grandson of Genghis Khan, basically, that's basically what I was trying to get to. Sent a letter to Latin, in Latin, to King Louis the. What is 1X? Of France, 
on April the 10th, 1262, from his capital, capital Marage in Iran. So this is what I'm saying. The Mongols went from, uh, let's say, Mongolians to the Mughals to the Mughals. They went from that, the Mongolian stuff, to basically the, they were the, they became the, the, the Muslims, basically. Um, kept in the Vienna National Library as MS339. It is both an invitation for joint operations against the Mamluks as well as an imperious command to submit. The letter provides key insights into the Mongols' understanding of Tengrism's relationship to Christianity as well as furnishing one of the first Latin transcriptions of Tengri. Only a few sentences from the lengthy letter are shown below. Okay. God spoke to our grandfather Genghis Khan by Teb Tengri, meaning prophet of God. His relative miraculously revealing the future through the same Teb Tengri, saying, On high I alone am God Almighty and made you Lord over peoples and kingdoms. We, by the power of Mengu Tengri, living God, Hulegu Khan, leader of the Mongol army, to Louis, illustrious king of the Franks, and to all France, Barakmar, greetings. Revealing the above revelation, we notify you to follow the command of God, considering well that we received our power from the same Mengutengri. We thought the Pope was a king of France or an emperor, but later, after diligent inquiry, understood he is a holy man who prays to God incessantly on behalf of all the nations of Misikatengrin. Wait, what? That is the son of the living God. What is Misikatengrin? I have to look that up now. Mangu. Tengri, that is the living God, eternally without end farewell, given in the city of Marga, the tenth year, Nocho, dog year, April 10th. Okay, the letter largely propounds the usual Mongol ideology and understand, understanding of Tengrism, with mentions of the supreme shaman Kokuchu Teb Tengri. I have to look this sucker up too. All meanings of Tengri, including the sky, the most high God, and a God, are implied in the letter. Jesus Christ is called Misika Tengrin, or Messiah Tengri in the letter. Huh. Interesting. The Misika is from Syriac Msiha, Messiah or Christ. As opposed to Arabic Masi. Isn't that interesting? Syriac Umshiha. Umshiha. Syriac. Syria. All this shit going on in Syria. Come on, man. Another Syriac word in the letter is Barakmar. Greetings. This points to the well known Nestorian heritage. There you go. Once again, the Nestorian Christians keep coming up. Well-known Nestorian heritage within the Mongol Empire, which used Syriac as its liturgical language. The Mongolian letter of Argun Khan, 
to Pope Argon in I'm assuming the Indian version is Arjun Argon Khan to Pope Nicholas IV 1290 also uses the word Misika for Christ it's interesting because in um, uh, in India uh, uh, I think what in Hindi or Arabic they do also say Messiah right or no, they say Masih. Oh, Masih. This is Mshiha. This, this is the there's an M before basically S H I H A. Shiha. Mshiha. Anyways, where was I? Also use the word Mystica for Christ. William of Rubruk reported that Arig Boke, brother of Hulegu Khan. Used the word Messiah near Karakoram in 1254. Then they began to blaspheme against Christ, but Arabuka stopped them, saying, You must not speak so, for we know that the Messiah is God. There are elements of syncretism between Tengrism and Nestorian Christianity, with overlapping notions of monotheism and a traditional view of Christ as Misika Tengren, probably dating back to the Karite conversion in, in 1007. In Hulegu's letter, Tengrism takes the overarching non-dogmatic role. What? Wait, what? non-dogmatic role and contains Nestorianism as a compatible subset in line with the religious plural pluralism practiced by the Mongols. Hulegu himself was not strictly a Christian, although his wife, his general Kitbuka, and mother were Nestorians. He was a Tengrist whose Nestorian interests were of the Mongol syncretic type. His successor, Abaka Khan, would take part in the Ninth Crusade with the future King Edward of England in 1271 and also stormed the Croc de Chevaliers in February 1281 with the Hospitallers of Marga. Anyways, well, let's do Tengrism and Islam. Tengrism is based on personal relationship with the gods and spirits and personal experiences which cannot be fixated in writings, which cannot be fixated in writings. Thus, there can be no prophet, holy scripture, place of worship, clergy, dogma, rite, and prayers. In contrast, Islam is based on a written corpus, doctrines, and religious law, derived from the Quran and are explained by Hadith. In this regard, both belief systems are fundamentally distinct. Turks usually encountered and assimilated their beliefs to Islam via Sufism. Huh. Sufism? Turks probably identified dervishes as something akin to shamans. There you go. I told you. I told you. The the dwarling dervishes. There you go, shamans. First contact between shamanistic Turks and Islam took place during the Battle of 
Talas against the Chinese Tang Dynasty. Turkic Tangrism further influenced parts of Sufism and folk Islam, especially Alevism and Bektashi order. Many shamanistic beliefs were considered as genuinely Islamic by many average Muslims and are still prevalent today. Dun dun dun! <laughs> Muslim Turkic scholar Mahmud al Kashgari, around the year 1075, whom he considered Tengrists as infidel, offered this view The infidels, may God destroy them, call the sky Tengri also. <laughs> Anything that is imposing in their eyes called Tengri, such as a great mountain or tree, and they bow down to such things. I mean, have you seen what... <laughs> Anyways, I'm not going to get into this shit. Tengris oppose Islam, Christianity, and Judaism as Semitic religions, imposing a foreign religion to the Turks. And according to someone... Someone by praying to the God of Islam, the Turkic peoples would give their energy to the Jews and not to themselves. Who the fuck? Excludes the experiences of other nations, but offers Semitic history as if it were the history of all humanity. Okay, I see what he's trying to say. The principle of submission, both in Islam as well as in Christianity, is disregarded as one of the major failings. As one of the... Yeah, because uh, Tengrism, Genghis Khan understood that <laughs> submission to this religion or whatever means submitting to whoever is giving you the instructions to submit. And because the Khan didn't want his people to be uh, disloyal to him, he didn't allow that. That's all it is. Freedom of religion is so that people, groups of people, communities of people have a their own myth to follow instead of having, instead of mixing state and, anyways, I'm not going to get into this shit, man, fucking, um, it, okay, is disregarded as one of their, one of the major failings, it allows rich people to abuse the ordinary people and makes human development stagnant. They advocate Turanism and, and, abandonment, and abandonment of Islam as an Arab religion. Prayer from the heart can only be in native language, not Arabic. On the contrary, others assert that Tengri is indeed synonymous with Allah and that Turkic ancestors did not leave their former belief behind but, sim but simply accepted Allah as new expression for Tengri. Yeah, there you go. Aaron Atabek draws attention to how the Islamization of the Kazakhs and other Turkic peoples was carried out. Runic letters were destroyed, physically persecuted shamans, national musical instruments were burned, and playing on them was condemned, etc. Yeah, if you look at the history of Islam, they they didn't convert these people. This is what I'm saying. These monotheistic religions aren't really religions. They're, they're just city folk with money, just using these stories 
as a major as a like a like a monomyth but you know they're the ones telling the story so obviously whoever tells the story holds you know the power so that's all it's coming down to Christianity went around converting by force all these uh, indigenous people all over the world and all this old patriarchal um, way of running things the 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 stick way of running things is it's not working no more the circle is coming back full circle the ouroboros the snake the turtle the volcano all this shit mother nature's just she's like all right i'm done with this one i'm gonna flip it you're gonna turn the infinity upside down the hourglass and boom it's uh yeah okay anyways Sociologist Rakat Achilova studied how aspects of Tengrism were adopted into a Kyrgyz form of Islam. Okay. Tengrism and Buddhism. In okay, the seventh century Mongolian chronicle Altan Topchi, Golden Summary, contains references to Tengri. Tengrism was assimilated into Mongolian Buddhism while surviving in purer forms only in far northern Mongolia. Tengri's formulas and ceremonies were subsumed into the state religion. See, state religion. It has to be the official religion. Because stories are about power. Okay, this is similar to the fusion of Buddhism and Shinto in Japan. The Altan Tokji contains the following prayer at its very end. Aya, the origin of the marvelous divine Khans from miscellaneous histor- histories collected by the faith-professing monk Lufsandanzan Gush. <laughs> Written with, anyways, written with effort so that the great nation may read for generations. By it, may all beings rule through white virtue, living long lives, and become possessors of peace and happiness. With the spirits of the Khans descended from mighty Tengri, blessing thoroughly, may sickness, zud, obstacles, and ultimately death be removed and pacified. May merchandise spread, crops flourish, and longevity increase. May peaceful health and happiness prevail, and and auspicious luck come like rain. I'll end on that. Peace.